We are in a series at Restoration Church called This Year Will Be Different. And, and what we've been saying every week from a really positive uh, vantage point is this year will be different. This year will be different. We've, just every week we've been telling you kind of over and over again, um, you know what, it can be different. If you will, uh, if you will follow Jesus, if you will ask Jesus, if you will pursue Jesus, he will bring you on this completely, he will bring you exactly where he wants to. You can change and Jesus will help you. Now, I, I do think it's important if we flip the question over a little bit and just ask the question, not, not from the positive perspective, but from a negative vantage point. You know, this year could be different, or could this year be different because your character catches up to you. And we talked about your character last week. Your character creates your circumstances. Will this year be different because this will be the year you start an addiction? Could this year be different because this will be the year you incur massive amounts of debt? Will this year be different because you'll have to tell your parents that your girlfriend is pregnant or you'll have to tell your parents that you're pregnant? Would this year be different because this will be the year you have an affair on your spouse? Will this year be different because this will be the year you walk out on your family? Will this year be different because after all this time living and following Jesus, this will be the year you turn away from him? Will this year be different? Could this year be different? This year doesn't have to become that. If you live and follow Jesus every day, which is not complicated, it's really not that difficult. Just every day making the decision, I'm going to follow Jesus today. None of those things will happen. If you will live and follow Jesus today, the, those things that you've been praying about, those, maybe you're in some of those areas and you want change in some of those areas, he'll make this year different. Our theme verse for this series is in Proverbs chapter 3, we read it the first week. I'll read it again for you right now. Uh, verses 5 through 6 says, Trust in the Lord with all of your heart and do not depend on your own understanding. Seek his will in all you do and he will show you which path to take. We've been in Proverbs this entire series because in some key areas in our life, Proverbs shows the path. He, it, Proverbs lays out kind of the practical um, uh, path that we can take in our life to flee some areas, to avoid some areas, and then to pursue what God has for us. If we pursue wisdom and we pursue Jesus, then it, it, Proverbs lays out the path for us to, um, to begin to do some practical things to help this year to be different. Now, the path that Jesus has and that he shows us in Scripture and that, that, he, that he shows us it's not the only path you can take. 
and probably many of us are aware of that. Like, you don't have to live the way Jesus has created you to live. You don't have to live in the way he offers you to live. You can make your own choice and go your own way. But for many of us, we've been doing that, which is exactly why we're here this morning saying this year has to be different. Jesus, I'm sorry, or Jesus, I was wrong. I need you. And I need this year to be different, and I can't do it my own way. I've tried that for so long. And I just need to yield to you and surrender to you and follow you. The book of Proverbs is, um, it was uh, put together by a guy named Solomon in about the year 900 BC, and it's written from the vantage point of a dad, Solomon is a dad, writing a letter to his son. So he's giving him all this kind of wisdom and, and, and trying to say, in some, like, in some areas, don't repeat my mistakes. In some areas, like he doesn't take his own advice, advice but saying, hey, all right, son, uh, here are the important things you need to know. And so we talked about Solomon telling his son to avoid folly and foolish people and, and foolishness. Last week, we talked about the sluggard and laziness. And this week, I want to look at what Solomon wrote to his son about uh, just, a, he, he wrote a lot in Proverbs, but in this one chapter, um, uh, about what he says about love and sex and relationships. And we're going to be looking in Proverbs 5 specifically, which is a warning against adultery. And not everybody in here is married, and so I don't want you immediately to tune out of this, but for those of you who will be married one day, there's great wisdom in this. There's great advice in this. For those of you who God is called to be single and you'll never be married, you're still, um, uh, you're still, you'll still face the same temptations that Solomon's son will face. You'll still face, just because God's called you to a life of singleness does not mean that you'll never face temptation. And so you still want to be listening to uh, the, the warnings and, um, and the wisdom that Solomon's laying out. Now, Solomon, he warns about the seductress, and he warns about the, uh, in, in the translation we're reading today, it talks, it, it, it's translated the immoral woman. He writes about, um, he writes to his son about, about se sexual purity and, um, and about marriage in chapters 2, chapters 5, which we're reading today, chapters 6, and chapter 7. He is repeating himself and, and keep, keeps coming back to this area in, his, in life because he is, uh, he is aware of how great the danger is. He's aware about how much in this area of his life that it can completely sidetrack his son's life and what God wants to do in his life. It was a serious problem in Solomon's day, and it's certainly no less today. And in chapter 5, as we read this, it's kind of one big idea that Solomon's laying out that, um, that we'll kind of keep coming back to and that we will, uh, and, and that we're going to be kind of building on 
but this is the, the big idea of what we're about to read and, and, and learn from today. Solomon is trying to teach his son and warn his son and help his son to know that adultery is a waste of something great. That's probably a different way of, uh, of looking at that than you've ever thought of before, but that's what he's trying to say and teach his son. Like, there is something great to be had and something great maybe that you do have, and adultery is wasting that. So Proverbs chapter 5, if you have that, uh, if you've got your Bible, so open up to there, and we're going to start reading at verse number 7. Uh, Jeremy, if you want to help me and, and bring that out, and then Chris, if you could help me. And we made some adjustments on the lights this week, so I apologize for checking this now, uh, but they are um, uh, giving me my vitamin D quotient for today. So just, just, um, just turn those down just a little bit more. So verse number, uh, Proverbs chapter 5, we'll start reading at verse number 7. So now, my sons, listen to me. Never stray away from what I'm about to say, about to say, stay away from her. Don't go near the door of her house. So in the first six verses in Proverbs 5, he's beginning to warn his son and teach his son, and he's beginning, he, and he starts to define what the seductress, her behaviors and, and how she acts and what her motives are. And then he starts right here. So listen to what I'm saying. Stay away from her. Now, if you're um, in today's culture, I don't want you to feel like we are bashing women because that's not where we're, we're intending to do. This was a father writing to his son. So if you're here and you're a female, um, you have the, the, you could flip this for yourself and just imagine Solomon writing to his daughter and what would he be warning his daughter about? He would be saying, listen, don't become a seductress and then don't be tricked and deceived by a seducer. So you can begin to, uh, to help yourself understand that. So as this father is having a, a, his talk with his son, uh, I started having the talk with my sons this year. And uh, one, of the, one of the authors and speakers that I listen to, and I know Pastor Chris references a lot, is Meg Meeker, Dr. Meg Meeker. And so she says you need to start having the talk with your kids uh, at, by the age of eight. And uh, the talk is an ongoing, decade-long conversation. So the talk, for those of you who don't know where, is beginning to talk to them about, about sex. And so I had uh, one of my sons in the car, and we had a two-hour drive ahead of us. And so um, eventually in the conversation, it just began to start to talk with him. And I, so I asked, uh, do you know what sex is? And his response back was, yeah, it's disgusting. <laughs> and, and so th this is an eight-year-old. Um, and I, so I just said, well, actually, no, it's not. God made it. And there was a puzzled look. And so I'm driving. And, and, and so he was probably happy we didn't have to make eye contact. But it's a puzzled look. And, you, and I could see just as I'm driving, like, that was just... Um, paradigm shifting for him. And it just, just a visible um, sign of relief uh, on, his, on his life. Because as much as an eight-year-old can, he, you know, 
as, as much as he wants to run his own life and have nothing to do with me, he also wants to, um, he, he, he wants me to admire him and he wants to follow God. And so he, he's at that, that stage of his life. So he hears it talked about all the time in his school. Um, and uh, so he knows, uh, he knows about it. And so to just know like, Maybe that it's not wrong to have questions or, or anything like that. Like to know like that somehow God is in this was helpful to him. So he asked some questions and, and eventually turned a question to, uh, or I turned a conversation to pornography. And I asked him, do you know what porn is? And he said, yeah. And um, not because he's ever, and so I asked him, have you ever seen it? He said, no. I said, well, how do you know about it? And because a second grader in his school does look at it and talks about it. And so, you know, I was glad we're having this conversation with him and, and, um, and you know, with the next son in line. Because every kid in that, I mean, not every kid, every, the majority of kids in that school, and your kid's school is probably the same, has, uh, has a smartphone or has their own iPad that has unlimited Internet access. I mean, never kidding. Usually, well, my kid, you know, if they saw something, they're not going to look at it. Well, if they saw something, like that's the, that's the hook. And so what I'm trying to tell my son is what Solomon is telling his son. If you see something like that, run away from it. And if you hear kids talking about it, stay away from it. Because it is far more dangerous than, than, um, than you could ever realize. And I think... Aside from a few kind of nutcases that are out there in the world, the, just about everybody agrees that pornography is dangerous for kids in, sec, in first grade, second grade, and third grade to be looking at. There are nutcases out there that don't believe that, but, but the majority of everybody else understands it's dangerous for a kid to become sexualized too early. Now, where a lot of people would maybe begin to argue is when I say this, that, you know, it's dangerous for my sons, but it is just as dangerous for me to be involved with, and it's just as dangerous for you as an adult to be involved with. Now, the dangers are different, but it's just as dangerous. Think about it this way. Um, if you have a six-month-old and they're just tr starting to eat solid food, um, would it be dangerous for that six-month-old to begin to eat cheeseburgers every day for every meal? Absolutely, it's going to create all kinds of uh, digestive problems, it's going to create malnourishment, it's, going to, it's not going to be healthy for the kid. Now, it is just as dangerous for me to eat cheeseburgers every single day, but for different reasons. Now I'm going to have a, dangers of, uh, of, uh, of gaining weight, dangers of high cholesterol, dangers of, uh, of uh, heart attacks, and uh, a six-month-old is probably not in danger of a heart attack, but... So it's just as dangerous, though the dangers may be different. Verses 9 through 14, Solomon is laying out to his son. He's saying, all right, here are the dangers of, uh, of not heeding my advice. If you don't stay away from her and, and she hooks you in, there is cost in your life if you don't ignore these. And we're not going to read those verses, but he says it'll cost your wealth, it'll cost your physical health. It'll cost your mental health. It will cost your reputation. It wastes your life. 
whether you're pursuing it or you're being pursued, if, if you don't avoid, if you don't stay away from her or him, if you don't stay away from adultery, it wastes your life. And wisdom offers something better. And that's what he's inviting his son into. Something better. To live a life greater than maybe anybody else's, to experience something greater than maybe what anybody else is experiencing, and not to waste that precious gift that you have. Now, to pursue wisdom is not to be a prude. So don't think that we're going to begin to come at it from that angle, as we'll begin to see. So look at verse number 16. Telling his son, why spill the water of your springs in the streets, having sex with just anybody? Now, um, stop right there. He's using all kinds of uh, illustrations in this, he, uh, and they're revolving around water. So he talks about a well, he talks about a cistern, he talks about a spring, he talks about a fountain. Because um, water was much more valuable then than it is now. And not that it was expensive then, it was valuable in that it was rare. It was hard to get, and it took a lot of work to get it. It wasn't just running water um, uh, in everybody's house. So, um, so he's, he's trying to help, like, hey, you've got something valuable. Don't waste it. So I went to uh, the gas station this morning, and I bought some Fiji water. It was uh, $1.79 for this. So if I did the math right, and again, uh, there's, you know, I'm a public speaker. I'm not a mathematician. Um, this water right here uh, priced out is $13.40 per gallon. That's how much this costs. So this is just, that's really expensive. Now, tap water, I don't know if you know this, tap water costs less than a penny per gallon, 0.004 cents per gallon. That is less than half a penny per gallon, which uh, in most towns you can drink, not die, and um, it's 100% potable, and, uh, but yet we're buying this all the time um, at this expensive price. So Here's what you wouldn't do with water that costs um, $13 a gallon. You're not going to use, you're not going to go to the store and buy this expensive Fiji water to use it to clean the floor. Like, oh, the church, you know, only, only the best, like, for our church. And you're not going to use this or, you know, especially, like, in salt season, you know, your wife, she's sending you to the store to, um, to buy Fiji water so she can mop the kitchen floor. Like, we have some counselors we can recommend. Um, just email us. We'll send you their names and numbers. We would never do that. You, wouldn't, you don't waste something valuable on, on, on you, don't, you just don't waste it. And that's what he's, that's what Solomon's trying to tell his son here. You're mis misusing and wasting something that is so much more value. And that's, sex, but this son is also marriage, and you're misusing sex, you're wasting it. It has so much more value than what you're giving it when you just have sex with any stranger. And then you're misusing the value of your marriage if you're pursuing these relationships outside of your marriage. He says in verse number 17, you should reserve it for yourselves 
Never share it with strangers. What if this was the only bottle of water you'd ever be given in your entire life? This is it. The rest of it, you know, is going to be from, you know, the Kachiko River, the Salmon Falls River. Like, that's going to be your water supply for the rest of your life. And so that's what you're going to have. But you have got this one bottle of water. What would you do with your one good bottle of water? I mean, you're not going to, you're definitely not going to be using that to be mopping the floors. You're not going to give it to your kids and letting them get little floaties in it. You're going to protect it. You're going you're, you're to protect it and reserve it. You're going to cherish it. You're not going to waste it. You're not going to forget about it. You're not going to neglect it. And he's telling his son, cherish your marriage relationship. Cherish it. It's valuable. It's precious. Cherish it. And if you're single, cherish your future relationship. This changes the sex conversation for people who are single. In today's culture, people are more likely to have sex with each other and, and they save and before they'll kiss each other. Cherish your future relationship. This is what Solomon's telling. He begins in verse 18 to talk about sex in a different way than maybe you'd expect in a church. But it says, let your wife be a fountain of blessing for you. Rejoice in the wife of your youth. She is a loving deer, a graceful doe. Let her breast satisfy you always. May you always be captivated by her love. Why be captivated, my son, by an immoral woman or fondle the breasts of a promiscuous woman? Let your wife be a fountain. And what he's trying to, what he's saying to his son here is when others are living in the desert, you have a fountain. When others don't have access to the great things of God, when others don't have access to, to, a, to a fountain, you do. And we, again, we have, maybe have a hard time getting that and understanding that because we've got running water in our houses and running water in our garages even sometimes. Like, we don't ever think about it, but, I, you know, I've traveled with Pastor John to Tanzania, Africa a, a, a bunch of times, and the first couple years I went with him, there was no running water at the orphanage, and so they had rainy season, and then they had dry season. The dry season was probably six or seven months, and uh, there was no rain, and everything went dry. They had a well. The well went dry. They would store water in cisterns. That would run out. And after about three months, like, it would be a dangerous situation. So thankfully, they were able to finally get running water. But they had two parcels of land in the same town in uh, Africa. And so one's this 30-acre stretch, 30-acre piece of property, and then there's a five-acre piece of property. I'm saying the numbers right. And the five-acre piece of property is worth more than the 30 acres. And they're not far. They're on the same street. It's the same neighborhood. I mean, they're probably 100 yards apart. But the five-acre land as the start of a spring. So there's water there all year round. It's valuable. It's valuable. So when you're in a place like that, you begin to get like water takes a lot of work. When we would be there, um, 
when we would be there, and even still now, because the water there is going to be boiled because it's coming straight out of Lake Victoria. Um, when we need drinking water, one of the workers at the orphanage gets on his bike, and he comes back probably 40 minutes later with water, bottled water. We, we, you know, and so when others are living in the desert, you've got a fountain. A never-ending supply of refreshing, of life, of satisfaction, of pleasure. And he says to his son, what you have is better than anything the immoral woman could ever offer. There is deep delight to be found in your marriage. And that may not be where you are right now, but this year could be different. So... On the same, kind of keeping on the same idea of water, if you've got a fountain, you've got a spring, or you've got this, you've got access to, to this pure water, don't pollute it. Don't pollute it. Why are they able to charge so much for this water, for Fiji water? Because the greater the purity of the water, then the better it is. So this water is supposed to be more pure because it was filtered by volcanoes or something. And, um, and so it's more pure. So it has more value. It's, it's going to taste better. But the, the, the kind of the principle here is the greater the purity of the marriage, the better the marriage. I think this is what the author of Hebrews was saying when he said, keep the marriage bed pure. Hebrews 13.4 says, marriage should be honored by all, and a marriage bed kept pure. And then he says, for God will judge the adulterer and all the sexually immoral. What he's saying here, listen, there's a, there's a beauty, there's refreshing, there's life, there's something deep, there's something amazing that comes within a pure marriage, within a pure marriage bed. So how, how do you keep that pure? How do you keep from polluting it? Well, you keep out, you keep pornography out of your life or out of your relationship. You keep out other people. You keep out comparison. And your, because uh, every marriage goes through seasons of difficulty, every marriage. You may be in that season, but even in a difficult season, it is greater than anything an affair has to offer. You may be in a season where you're not being intimate, and um, you know there's a lot of studies out that saying, you know, more and more couples, not of every age demographic, even young married newlyweds. I mean, it's six months, two years, even longer, and they're not being intimate. There is. There's a reason God created it, and 
there's a joy to be found in it that, that God offers. And so this year could be different. It could be different than last year. It could be better. Now, kind of before I move into the next part, I do want to say this. Like there are, every marriage, I don't know where you're at and you're, where you're at. And so I'm just going to speak to a couple things quickly. You, um, maybe one of you were unfaithful. Uh, and so you haven't gotten a divorce. You're seeing a counselor. And so the other spouse, they're not being intimate with you because you were just unfaithful to them. So don't try to use my message today to strong arm them to say whatever. Like if you're seeing a counselor and, and you're talking about with the counselor, you, you have to rebuild trust before, um, before that is going to be um, a blessing to both of you. If there's medical issues, certainly don't let this heap guilt or condemnation upon the person with medical issues. Like, continue to see your doctor. Continue to, um, to, to, to be affectionate with each other. And um, continue, like, don't give up on, on finding a solution. And then if you just, maybe you just hate each other. And we always, always, always encourage you to, to get professional marriage counseling. The enemy wants to wreck your marriage. If he can't get you to the divorce, then he's going to try very hard just to get you to be roommates. But God doesn't want you to just be roommates. He wants you to be lovers. And... And don't give up on that. It is hard work to work through years of issues. Don't give up on that. It's not fun. It's very painful. But it's way better for the both of you if you will, if you will walk it. And just say, hey, listen, I'm, I don't want to just be roommates. I want us to have a marriage a God-honoring marriage. And God says he has this for us, and let's pursue it. And don't give up on that. And don't quit on that. And don't, don't leave. So how does a wife help her husband flee the seductress? How does a husband help his wife flee the seducer? We actually can help each other and have a responsibility to help each other. So uh, I'm going to read the words of uh, one, um, uh, uh, one author. He says, when sexual satisfaction and emotional and spiritual harmony are present in a marriage, it is significantly harder to be seduced outside of the marriage. So we can help each other. And this is, well, let me read this next part. So how does a wife help her husband flee the seductress? Then the same author says, when a husband is exhilarated and enthralled with his wife, he is much less likely to become an adulterer. Let me say this to any, to just everybody. You never have an excuse for an affair. 
doesn't matter how your spouse has been treating you. It doesn't matter. You, you never have an excuse for an affair. So you, you, you can't blame your spouse. But for the wife, it's not your responsibility to, to get, you know, to, to, um, uh, to make sure your husband never has an affair, but, but you can help him. Now, what does the husband help? How does a husband help his wife flee the seducer? Similarly, when the wife senses that her husband is enthralled with her, she is much less likely to go and play the seductress with another man. When God's principles of love, sexual intimacy, honesty, and forbearance are practiced within a marriage, joy can be found. When it is not, disaster is one false look or conversation away. So these are, you know, certainly we can't speak to every single individual and in every single relationship. So we're kind of creating these kind of big, big broad strokes and speaking in some generalities to just give some principles that will help. But, you know, when, when if you're a husband and you say, well, I'm not romantic, you don't have to be romantic to be enthralled with your wife. So it's not about buying flowers and, or, or jewelry or uh, or or like sewing your wife a quilt. Like this is not what this is talking about. Your wife married you because she loves you. She knew your personality beforehand and she loved that. But there was something you did, you were enthralled with her and she just knew like this man loves me. He desires me. He wants me. And and so there's little things you can do. How do you speak to your wife? You know, how do you talk to her? That shows someone how you want, how, how much you care about them, how enthralled you are with them. And as a, um, in a marriage relationship, you make a commitment to each other. You are the one source of water for each other's life. And I would encourage you to begin to bless each other, to begin to enjoy each other. And this year can be different. This is a year you're not just roommates, but you're lovers. This is the year, maybe if you're single, that you stop wasting something precious. This is the year, if you even call to be single for the rest of your life, where you just begin to aware, like, you know what, I'm beginning to make some compromises in these areas, and God's called me to live a life differently than I've begun to live it. And you recommit yourself to the goal he has for you. I want to pray for you, and certainly, certainly, um, We've talked about all kinds of different things that's going to be, I mean, there's not many people who are sitting comfortable here this morning. We know pornography uh, is uh, just everywhere. 
and male and female, the addiction rates are so high in every age demographic. We know adultery affects one out of three marriages. We, you may have even been someone here and you were unfaithful to your spouse. As you close your eyes to pray, I want to remind you, Jesus forgives, Jesus redeems, Jesus restores, and Jesus rescues. Jesus, we thank you for who you are. We thank you for how much you love us, how much you care for us. We have lived so much of our life in guilt and shame. We, we just even have a hard time believing that you have something good for us in this area of our life. We think that somehow the Bible's got it wrong and the world has got it right. But we've lived our own ways. Right now we're in a marriage where we don't love each other, in a marriage where we don't bless each other, we're single and we're, we're stuck in these addictions, we're single and we're just another heart-wrenching breakup, another morning where we're feel, feeling guilty about areas where we've compromised this week and we just realize, you know what, Jesus, we don't... We don't want to live like this anymore. We want this year to be different. So we're giving our hearts to you. If we've sinned, we confess our sin. And we're thankful that you forgive us. If we're in a place in our marriage where we think like there's no hope, nothing will ever change, we turn to you. Because you can change anything. And you are the source of hope. Jesus, I pray, man, that this year will be different, that husbands and wives will love each other. That singles will protect their future relationships. And that we'll trust you in every area of our life, even this area. We'll never believe that you're withholding something on us or you're trying to control us, but man, you just know there's something greater and something better. And we will wait for that and we will pursue that. What's your marriage going to look like next year? What will happen if you forgive each other, if you protect each other, if you help each other, if you love each other, if you enjoy each other? What's it going to look like? What's it going to feel like next year? What's it going to look like next year when you're free? You don't have to worry about someone checking your history or reading your text messages or what's it going to look like when you're free and you don't have to hide anything anymore? What's that going to look like?
I want you to begin to talk to God about that. Talk to Jesus and say, Jesus, this is what I want to feel like. This is what I want to be. This is what I need you.